This is a Bulldog Radio podcast. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas from everybody at the Most Valuable Sports Podcast. Brandon Worth rolling with you on this lovely 23rd of December. It's snowing outside. I know I'm excited about it just because, you know, Christmas season is a wonderful time of year. Getting together with family from all the parts of the country, being able to have food and open presents. It's a wonderful time of year. It really is. But what makes it even better, having Christmas as a national champion. We're going to get into the wonderful time in Texas with Ferris State football beating Valdosta, obviously, in just a minute. We got a lot more to cover in this episode. And if you ever want to know what is on our shows, the first place you need to look is our episode descriptions, where we have time codes and all the list of topics for your pleasure. So you know exactly what to expect on our episodes. And if you want to listen to some specifically, hey, yo, that's the place to go. But before we get into that, we have an exclusive interview with defensive lineman Caleb Murphy chatting about the national championship and more. So without further ado, let's send you to the interview. Now a special interview with a special player, Division II national champion defensive lineman from Ferris State football. Caleb Murphy is joining us. Caleb, my friend, welcome to the show, man. All right, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking time. I know you're driving down, getting ready to go home for break. But start off right now with the first question. How good does it feel to not only prove a lot of the doubters wrong, a lot of the haters wrong, but to really just raise a trophy and be a national champion as well as doing it in big fashion? Uh, it felt pretty good. You know, I came here as a transfer last, uh, the year before last year. So, you know, just coming in and seeing how hard the guys work and being able to accomplish something that they've been so close to before, you know, this is my first time getting as close, you know, being able to seal the job off felt really good. So I couldn't imagine how it felt for them. So just being able to do it for them was really cool. Yeah, and you for just sure, mentioned sure. that um, you came for, as a transfer and uh, a little bit of an interesting school to transfer from, our fellas at GV. How did it feel to not only be able to come here and win a national championship, but beat your former team on the way through? Um, It was actually pretty cool. So I love those guys over there. Uh, no hard feelings against any of them. Um, so it was really cool to be able to play against some of my other brothers with my brothers. So like the first time we played, it felt it felt so amazing. And then just being able to play them again in the playoffs, that's that's a great thing to do. And then obviously we came out on top, so that was pretty cool too. You know, I get bragging rights for a while. I get to talk to my buddies, you know, so it's pretty cool. For sure, for sure. And especially at the national championship game, it was there's a surprising strong Ferris State presence at the game. What was that like to just be able to look behind you and see all the Ferris faithful really chanting, getting behind you guys, especially after big turnovers and big defensive stops? What was that like just to see all those people that had your back and were supporting you throughout the way? It was super cool to, uh, to know that we had those community that would fly down just to watch us play around, just using them to our best abilities when we're out on the field and always taking, uh, taking appreciation for them coming down, you know, so trying not to let up our play. For sure. I know me and Joe were there, and I mean, it seemed like we brought the, the Michigan weather to Texas. I mean, it would just seem to be so cold, but um, you guys have been through the elements all throughout the playoffs. Do you think that was a huge strength for you guys, being able to adjust to that weather, unlike maybe Valdosta that is used to the 60s and the 70s degree weather? 
Sometimes it comes in the hand, maybe not the Wadasi game, but because they play outside. But, you know, we don't have an indoor or anything like that. So, you know, we're always outside. Those teams that are coming up, you know, they probably have indoors or they're, they're somewhere warmer, you know. We're outside all the time. We never practice inside. We never took a day to just practice inside. It was always outside. So I think it came to advantage at some point, yeah. Now to get more into the analytics side, uh, with Valdosta, they had the 30th passing offense in the nation, as well as the fifth rushing offense in the nation, and you guys were able to shut down both of those avenues. What did the defense have to do to kind of have that conversation to be able to shut down their offensive ability? Uh, just play our game. We always knew, like, you know, we could do anything that, like, you know, was for us. You know, I felt we always felt like we were the best defense in the nation, you know. Uh, so just, just playing our game, doing our part, you know, not trying to get selfish out on the field, uh, staying to the game plan that our coaches put put out for us. So just doing things like that will keep us in the right position to win. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, we they talked obviously about Valdas's high offense, but I think one of the, the biggest things was I think that you guys came in um, statistically 33rd in pass defense and 15th in rush defense, which I thought was extremely high. Did you guys ever – like consider yourselves as underdogs on the defense when you got media talking about um, obviously Jared and those guys on the offense putting up so many points, but you guys also like holding it down in the end, only seven points allowed to Shepard, only 20 to Northwest Missouri State. Like what was your guys' mentality going into that game of seeing those numbers and being able to execute? Um, Like I said, just for our game, TA has always told us, you know, uh, Fans come to see touchdowns, you know. They come to see those type of things. So when people talk about them, you know, I see that. I see people just saying, like, you know, oh, we love to see Jared score. But, you know, we took it We took it to the chin and just went with it. You know, they don't come to watch us go stop and stuff like that. So, But as you said, you kind of said how, you know, the defense, our fans are really more looking forward to the offense. But when the defense was able to get those turnovers and really showed off the belt and kind of came to the sideline and really got the crowd going, how was that experience just to see all those people get excited for the defensive side of the ball and excited for the third downs when usually you don't always see that as a defensive player? Uh, Yeah, it's pretty cool. So in the playoffs, we had a really good uh, turnover margin with other teams uh, all the whole playoffs. It was really cool to see everybody that came down to Texas, you know, celebrating with us on the side because, you know, we don't get as much credit as offense does, things like that. So it was pretty cool to see them celebrating with us, especially, like, you know, we're scoring. We got an explosive play. We scored a touchdown. So uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was that was awesome to see. For sure. I mean, just the fact that you guys did it in such dominating fashion, I mean, just absolutely crushed those guys, especially we're in revenge of 18. Um, but I mean, Caleb, you're, you yourself had one of the best seasons, I think, as far as any Division II college defensive player. I mean, 14 and a half sacks, 21 and a half tackles for a loss. I know you got the nomination for the Cliff Harris Defensive Player of the Year Award for small college, which is awesome. What do you think was like the key that gave you so much success this year? Um, Supporting us, uh, loving on me, you know, just like welcoming me in with open arms. So I, I give all my – so uh, I truly give my teammates a lot of credit for it. For sure, for sure. And when does the team get back to work? 
Obviously, the most important championship is the next one, and the team's obviously wants to build a dynasty. So what's going to be the approach in the offseason for you, as well as the defense, as well as the coaching staff? What's going to be the the attitude when it comes to the offseason, just so that way you can get back to Texas next year? Um, I think it'll be the same attitude that we had when we, you know, we're coming in this past season. You know, we got a lot of returns coming back. So just putting our head down and working hard, you know, uh, not letting anybody close the gap, I guess we could say that. So uh, trying not to let the gap get closed and working hard and putting our head down. So uh, I'll probably work out probably end of January, well, middle January and then uh, so forth on. Um, right now, I hope all the guys are like, you know, getting everything that they need, the treatment, all those things to make sure their bodies are right. So I would hope none of them are lifting unless they're able to. Um, so just getting healthy and, you know, getting back to work. For sure. And uh, one last question for you, Caleb. We appreciate you giving up some time on your drive home. Uh, as far as looking at this whole 2021 20, season in a recap of every all the goods and all the bads, what was your favorite part about this whole season at Ferris State Football? Uh, any meeting with Tesla Smith. You could, you, could, you could name it. Any meeting. Absolutely any meeting. He's probably the... One of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life. So you sit there at a meeting with Tesla any day, uh, it'll be a great time of yours. Absolutely. We've heard hearing those hearing those stories about that guy. He's a great, great coach, great guy to be around. For but sure. Caleb, thank you again so much for taking time out of your day. We greatly appreciate it. Congratulations on being a D2 national champion and really etching your name in the history books. Thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Special thanks to Caleb Murphy for hopping on the show. We appreciate his insight on the national championship as well as the special football season altogether. It was a wonderful experience. We apologize for the technical difficulties. Obviously, having a remote audio interview can be tough in Michigan, especially with all the wonderful forests and all the wonderful scenic routes that I'm sure everybody's driving on to get home this holiday break. But we appreciate everybody that making it through it, obviously, with our show being remote now over Christmas break. We appreciate everybody that is sticking with us, and we're going to have a great 2022, of course, a little, little teaser, maybe possible expansion. You heard it here first. Make sure that you follow all that information on our social media, at the MVSP on Twitter and Instagram for more information. And we thank, obviously, our great partners at Eagle Village, Anchor, and Bulldog Radio for what has been a fun year, and we can't wait to have a great 2022. But make sure that you guys fill out all of our polls on social media so we get to the topics that you want to hear over holiday break because we love putting out the best content for you guys, and we love hearing your feedback. But, I mean, we talked about a special year, a special game already. It was no other been a fantastic experience and I really can't stress this enough for how wonderful of a time it is I know there was so many fans that made the trek down to McKinney me and Joe included as well as a lot of other athletics members and media members and friends that made it a wonderful experience and no matter if a bus broke down at 1 a.m on the way back that was rough but the trip was still all worth it, of course, and it certainly was an enjoyable trip. I know we got to experience a lot of the great culture of Texas. Um, me and Joe crossed off a bucket list of getting authentic Texas barbecue, and by the way, it was absolutely delicious. So, I mean, it was just a fun trip all together. I did not bring a cowboy hat home. I really wish I did, but 
I decided to save some money and I ended up getting some Christmas presents for the family while I was gone. So those that brought a cowboy hat home, I'm extremely jealous. I know I had a couple friends that brought one home. I think I actually got a picture in one. Maybe I'll put that on the social media handles maybe sometime. Maybe that maybe that'll be a nice Christmas present. You guys see me in a cowboy hat. That'd be kind of weird though. So I maybe I'll change my profile pic or something. But I mean, it's been oh, it was a wonderful trip. It's been a wonderful season. And to cap it off with something like this, this performance from this team, cherry on the Sunday, icing on the cake. No other comparison can be made for the dominant performance. This game was really knotted up through the first quarter. It was a back and forth fight. I mean, we got two big explosive plays in the run game that really got us going early on with Bernhardt. And I mean, I mean the fact that that guy performed on the level that he did not even fully healthy guys I there was not really made clear before the game started and it's really I mean going into that game why would you like why would you release that information that Bernhardt was banged up from earlier in the in the in the week of practice but coach Nice mentioned that in the postgame practice conference that Bernhardt was not fully healthy guys in that game he was not fully healthy, and he was still doing those type of big plays that he has been accustomed to making all season. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it was incredible. But the fact of it is, is I mean, Valdosta was answering early on. I know we had a little bit of a defensive zone scheme early on. Valdosta was finding a couple holes in that. But, I mean, after the first quarter, I mean, we were leading 20-17 to 17 at the end of the first. I mean, that can show that it was knotted up just as it is. There was one play earlier on in the, I think it was about the three, two to three minute mark in the first quarter where um, Bernhardt had an awkward fall, lost the football just before his knee was down. Um, Valdosta got on top of it. They only got a field goal. And I think that was the momentum changer of this entire game. And here's why. Guys, they didn't score a single point after that time, after that drive, after that kick. It was 2.47, I believe, in the first quarter remaining when that field goal was kicked. Valdosta State, the number five, I believe number five rushing offense in the entire country and scoring-wise one of the top in the entire nation in Division Two. Zero points for the rest of the contest. This defense deserves more credit, and they certainly showed why in this game. I mean, it was unbelievable to watch. I mean, Valdosta is a great offensive team. Our defense held them to 6 of 15 on third down. Zero fourth down conversions. Only 268 yards of offense, including 110 rushing yards from that team that was ranked fifth in rushing offense in the nation. 110 yards. What did our offense put up? Just a whopping 459 average day for Coach Anise and that crew. I don't know exactly how to put that into terms of just comparing the numbers. It was fantastic. Our defense was amazing. They really proved why they should be considered one of the best in the entire country. I mean, we ended up getting a fumble off of Valdosta, two interceptions, sacked him twice, and... It was an incredible moment. I mean, Caleb Murphy was a big part of that, as we just mentioned. I mean, he had one of the two sacks on the day, two tackles for a loss as well. Liam Daly led the charge with 13 tackles altogether. He's had a fantastic season, including a pick six to top it all off. He was wonderful. 
Sintel Williams also had an interception. Um, Olier Oladipo had a nasty sack that forced a fumble that really kind of locked up the defensive performance after a couple little, a couple little slow drives. I mean, those those were huge. I mean, it was just fantastic. This offense has been on a whole nother level as well. The fact of it is the domination, what we saw from this football team, I think really outside of two games, as far as scoring wise, really are would possibly hold us back from being the greatest Division II team of all time. I know some players would think that. Obviously, there's a lot of coaches that would believe that, especially when you're on the winning side of that team. But altogether, when you look at this schedule, there were only two games really that we had a little bit of struggles, I would say, as far as looking at the final outcome. Saginaw Valley was one of them earlier in the season back in September. We only won 47 to 45. When you look back on that game, there was a lot of things that just really was not in sync overall from that game. I believe we had five fumbles and threw two interceptions in that game. It was not pretty. It really wasn't. We had one of our most struggling offensive performances all year. And kudos to Saginaw Valley. They played a pretty good game. Were they necessarily a top caliber team like we were? No, I'm not going to say that. But the fact is, that team played us tough in one of our worst games. Probably no, it was our worst game. Now that I think about it, it was our worst game. Hands down, our worst game. I don't know why I made that comparison. But we still ended up getting past them, despite playing one of our worst games. And then the second one was at Allendale at Lubbers when we beat Grand Valley the first time in Grand Rapids, 35-28. to I mean, that game was fun. I know being on the sidelines was a, just an incredible experience there. The atmosphere was electric. We didn't play one of our best games there either. We, we, we really had some struggles in that game, I would say, especially on third down. I, I mean, we were 7 of 12 overall, but there were some times where we just got stuck, especially in the second half where it was not looking pretty. We had a nice, we had a really nice lead at halftime, 21 to 7. Then we score on the first drive out, I believe it was, uh, make it a three-score game. And then we just kind of stalled out late third, early fourth quarter. Then we ended up getting it together in the end. But those two games... Like I mentioned, 47, 45, 35, 28. Only one score games. Other than that, Finley, 54, 14. Ashen, 45, 19. Davenport, 38 to zip. Northwood, 67, 25. Michigan Tech, 38 to 10. Northern, 44, 24. Davenport, 50 to 14. Wayne State, 35, 13. Grand Valley, round two, 54, 20. Northwest Missouri State, 41 to 20. Shepard, 55 to 7. And finally, Valdosta, 58-17. to Domination. Domination. That's the only words that you can use to describe this season. Those two games might be the lone exceptions, but it still needs recognition as one of the best teams. Because not only did we go undefeated, but in, in dominating fashion, we dominated four of the top seven teams in the final rankings in the nation. In the entire nation, four of the top seven were in our path to McKinney. Or three, I should say, excuse me. Fourth of was in McKinney to face us in Valdosta, Grand Valley, Shepherd, Northwest Missouri. I mean, that's, and we not only beat them, we beat them. Wasn't even close. It was not even close. 
24 point diff or excuse me 50, or 34 point differential 21 point differential 48 point differential and 41 point differential we also broke the record offensively for most points scored in a postseason since Valdosta did it at 206 points I believe we ended up putting up 208 if I remember correctly that could be wrong I can somebody can check my math for me but that's just straight domination the defense was incredible all season long. They still showed why they're one of the best teams, were one of the best defensive units in the country. I know Coach Hodges got nominated for one of the best Division II coordinators in the country, and that's well-deserved. That is absolutely well-deserved. I mean, it's just incredible. This team, this culture, this fan base, everything around it was wonderful. The trip to McKinney was great start from finish. And to cap it off with a trophy on the way home, a nice passenger on the plane ride, is what made it all worth it. This was the goal from day one. This team believed they could have done this in 2018, in which they were one step short, one play short. 19 arguably would have been a, an even better team, more experienced team. Outside of that, really literally fumbled game against West Florida would have probably made it there as obviously they ended up being the national champions and we could have beat them in that game. I'll be, I'll be biased. We should have beat them in that game. And then COVID killing the whole potential next season to run it back. A lot of guys, I know coach needs mentioned in the pros game press conference. We're debating on even returning back to the gridiron. They end up coming back and put together an even better season than imagined. It was incredible. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal season. For all the seniors, this is what you leave your cap with. The If that's the last time you step on a football field, you got to feel pretty darn good about it. You guys deserve it. It was an amazing time. And I, I'm so blessed to be a part of it being able to cover the team, not only for the paper, but for you guys here on the podcast, watching this team develop with the great culture that they have, the love for each other, especially in the quarterback room, especially everywhere else. It was phenomenal. Kudos to this team for putting together one of the most dominating postseason and regular season performances ever. And just being able to see that, that was wonderful. But it was incredible. Some final stats here, wrapping up the game and just complete. I mean, the fact of it is Valdosta really played. They played pretty decent. They got after us, obviously, in the first quarter. But other than that, it was all us. The momentum completely shifted. No matter who was at the helm under center, whether it was Malik, whether it was Evan, whether it was Jared, they all got it, the job done. I know there's going to be an article released here soon from our boy Joe Nagy who I wish could join us here today, but he is with family celebrating Christmas. We appreciate everything that he does on the show, as I do full-heartedly, as he's one of my best friends. Just describing how this season, no matter who is under center, we have three starting caliber Division II quarterbacks all on one team together, and they all share reps. They know the role. They don't fight about their role. They fight for when that role has changed. We've heard Bernhardt talk about that there was one time in practice that he was upset from Coach Nice's perspective. What was it about a game plan? 
Nope. Was it about the weather that they were practicing? Nope. It was that they wanted him to take reps away from Evan and Malik and Jesse. That's when he was upset because he wanted them to get their reps in for good reason because they were all used in the national championship game. And it certainly was wonderful. Malik led the passing attack. He was 3 of 6, 122 yards, one touchdown. I mean, Bernhardt, 148 yards on the ground, three TDs on 14 carries. Tyler Miner had a fantastic rushing performance as well. Jeremy Burrell, those guys combined for 100, or 228 yards on 12 carries and two TDs. Miner getting 125, Burrell 103. The wide receivers deserve a lot of credit. I know Xavier Wade had that 72-yard catch, and Tyree St. Thompson had the 47-yard crossing route for a touchdown. But those guys, like Marcus Taylor, C.J. Jefferson, the guys that I mentioned, Brandon Childress, Cy Barnett, those guys deserve a lot of credit as well because they were a big part of why that running game went so well. The offensive line deserves just as much credit as well. Dylan Pasquale, that crew, both the units. We have two units that put together dominating performances. And the receivers on the edge, being able to seal, being able to keep those long runs, I don't know how many runs we had that were over 50 yards or 40 yards. I mean, heck, there was three of them that were in the first quarter. Bernhardt, the opening play, 56 yards for a TD on the RPO. Burrell, 78 yards. Bernhardt had another run, I believe, on his second touch of the or third touch of the ball game. That went all the way, I believe, over 50 yards, maybe even more towards 40. Still doesn't matter. I mean, those guys deserve as much credit too. They didn't get as much touches in the passing game because obviously we we ran the ball 51 times, I believe the number was. But they deserve just as much credit for especially the work they put in and them being able to contribute to that game, not necessarily in the stat column because we read stats all the time. That's what we're paid to do. But they deserve just as much credit for what the job they did blocking and the job that they did getting us here too. Everybody deserves credit. Everybody contributed to this team. Third string, fourth string, any position. There was no weak spots on this team. None. Valdosta really had one. Rushing defense. Boy, did that get exposed on Saturday. It was wonderful, McKinney ISD. That whole stadium, that whole experience. And the fact of it is, I believe there was one mention after Liam Daly's pick six that the broadcast crew mentioned how it was a Ferris State party in McKinney. It really was. Our fans were there. They made the trek all the way down from Big Rap or all the way from Big Rapids. And I was on that bus. Joe was on that bus. A lot of media athletics members were on that bus. A lot of our good friends were on that bus. Over 20 hours just down. Nearly a 44-hour trip altogether. Thanks to a broken break on the charter bus on the way home at 1 a.m. That made it even longer. It was worth it. It was 100% worth it for this performance to watch this team. And the fan base brought it. Joe got a better seat of it than I did. Being on the first level down near the stadium, I was up in the box. But I heard that crowd. All you Ferris fans, you guys killed it. You guys crushed it. Hands down. It was one-sided. The momentum was completely to us. Valdosta had some fans there, guys. They sure didn't compare to us. It was one-sided in that perspective. And 
all the dog fans did a great job. I know some are still recovering from pretty much losing their voices from that game. I know Joe was talking about it earlier before our interview with Caleb Murphy, which by the way, he in that defense had a fantastic game as mentioned earlier, only allowing the number five ranked defense to 110 yards rushing, but it was a fun altogether. That trip was amazing. I wish I would have brought a cowboy hat home, but I didn't, but I'll have the memories of that game forever. I thank everybody for that. As Caleb mentioned, run it back 2022. I'll tell you what, we're not going to be able to wait if this is their expectation once again. Because I know every single Bulldog fan that was there or not will be first in line for that bus. Because that whole trip was worth it. For more information, get your national championship attire now on the website, ferrisstatebulldogs.com. You can check out all the player, staff interviews, recaps. Everything is there. All the stats, everything that you want on this this incredible team is there. I know I'll be buying a national championship shirt probably soon. I know a lot of others will as well. And for good reason. First time is the best time. National champions. That sounds wonderful. And it, boy, it's sure going to ring on forever in the record books. Moving now over into basketball, they were in action just this last, uh, I believe it was Saturday. Um, excuse me, it was Monday. I apologize, Monday. Uh, we traveled down to Lewis, Illinois for a little non-conference regional action against the Flyers. Did not come up on top, ended up losing that one 90-85. Kudos to that team, though, for getting together a second, uh, really a second-half comeback. Trailing at the end of the first, 53-35, did not look well. Um, in that first half, I mean, it was, it was, we just could not score the basketball 16% from beyond the arc 42 overall Lewis could not miss. They were pretty efficient. I mean, we, we, I mean, we really didn't do it terror. I mean, we, we didn't control the ball as much as we wanted to. I know coach Bronco would like to see better that second half. They looked way better. I mean, they were knocking down free throws, six of 10 from deep. I mean, they, they weren't turning the ball over. I mean, it was it was definitely a better performance. Um, just came out, just ran out of time. That's really what it seemed like on paper. I was not able to watch this game or um, be able to follow it as well due to family um, to family commitments. But I mean, it still looked like there was a lot of positives that came out of this game. For one, I mean, this game was kind of a little bit. I'm sure was a little bit tough to go into because obviously it's a Monday night game. Um, on a holiday break, everybody finished up exams, trying to catch your break, catch or excuse me, catch your breath, take a little break. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, they almost got it done. So that's definitely something to be positive about. I know obviously a loss is going to hurt, and I I really can't I can't really tell you exactly how that feels being in that scenario because obviously I'm not a Fair State basketball player, but. I mean, there's a lot of positives that you can take out of this. Ben Davidson was great off the bench, 9 of 14 from the floor, 25 points. Vasquez Zulis is putting together some quality minutes. He had 12 points. I mean, it was still a, a pretty solid performance. And, I mean, I just not being able to watch it, I can't really give you enough analysis as I would like. But, I mean, we still got a lot of season left. This team's got a lot of talent. 
got a lot of time to do some great things. And I know once we get back in the studio, we'll do the full winter previews just like we did in the fall covering this team, women's basketball. We'll get into hockey as well before the second half, um, as well as indoor track and field. But the Bulldogs will be back in action. They will be returning to Wink Arena on January 1st to get back on track after a lovely holiday break. And then it'll be right into GLIAC conference action. You'll be taking on Wayne State Thursday. Um, I believe that is the 6th of January, if I remember correctly. Yes, the 6th of January at 730. And then for many of you returning to campus on Saturday, there will be a basketball game as well in Wink Arena. They'll be playing Saginaw Valley State, as well as I believe the women will be um, both home for those games as well. So you can check out both of those games. Going to be going through the full winter preview when we get back in the studio on campus. So me and Joe will get back together. We'll run you through all of the winter sports previews or really midterm reviews, maybe. Maybe that'd be a more appropriate term. But women's basketball, men's basketball, hockey, indoor track and field will give you all the goods and analysis looking up for the rest of the year with that when we come back to studio. Speaking of coming back, we'll be back here in a little bit after this short break with more epic sports talk and why the Lions win is actually good. Stay tuned. The MVSP podcast is brought to you by Bulldog Radio. If you're a student at Ferris State University and you want to start your own podcast with some buddies, it could be about music, sports, really whatever you want to do, go to Bulldog Connect or find us on social media at Bulldog Radio. Remember, if you want to start out your own podcast, make sure to reach out to us and we'll get you started. Welcome back. Second half of the show kicking underway right off with some NFL. Going to cover a lot of sports here in this segment, but on the gridiron first. I mean, we're looking at a great week of football coming up here in week 16. Am I right? Boy. That was sarcasm. COVID has really killed right now a lot of the rosters, a lot of especially fantasy hopefuls like myself, um, seeing a lot of teams go down, even with injuries as well, especially the Buccaneers with Fournette, Evans, and Godwin all going to be potentially out for their upcoming game. I mean, and what a, I mean, really a pivotal game against Carolina. I mean, it doesn't seem like it on paper, but it really is, especially considering how tight these playoff races have become. And nothing better than getting a momentum start here with three or two games to go after week 16. But going through a lot of these games here, making the picks, here we'll start with the Thursday night game. First time, I think, actually making a Thursday night pick prior to the Thursday night game. So that's kind of fun. 49ers and Titans. This one's going to be sure a doozy. I'm really, I'm really concerned about some of the injuries on the 49ers side. Seems like it. It always is with Elijah Mitchell out, but Jeff Wilson has been very suitable to take up that backup role. And plus, Devo Samuel has been phenomenal running the football, and I think he should be a fantasy running back. I think that that should occur. Whoever can hear me on that, um, whoever the fantasy, um, whoever the fantasy network people are, Devo Samuel should have a running back. He should have a running back tag because he's been deserving of that taking the ball out of the backfield, doing the things that he's done. But uh, looking at this game, I believe it's a 60-40 to 40 Niners to beat the Titans. And as much as the Titans are, I think, a little bit of a better defense, I'm going to go with the 49ers in this one. And I think the reason is because when you look at the work that the offense has done 
so far in the last couple games for San Francisco, one thing that they've done very well is being able to use tempo to their advantage. They've really been able to, I, I don't want to necessarily say like slow teams down, but they're using the, their tempo to really throw teams off. They're such a versatile team. I'm sure the Titans are going to work really slow on Sunday. I mean, the 49ers can speed it up too, but I'm without Elijah Mitchell, you're going to see a lot of Jeff Wilson Jr. I really like what I've seen out of him, but I think that you will see, I think you'll see a pretty slow game overall. I think the 49ers will probably maybe throw some tempo. I mean, I could see the Titans throwing tempo too. So uh, when I make this pick, I'm going to probably go with the Niners. I'm going to think of a similar game um, to really what was the last matchup four years ago around this time where the Niners won by by two. I'm going to probably take them by four in this one. I think this is going to be a great Thursday night game. The Titans, I just need more reliance on their defense. They've been able to do it against the bad teams, but against the good teams, they've really they've really flopped. So I'm going to take the Niners in this one. Um, moving over, Saturday, 4.30, Browns and the Packers. The fact that the Browns are without like half their team on COVID last week, just the fact they're coming back is not going to be enough. I'm going to take the Packers by 10 in this one. I'm going to expect Aaron Rodgers to put on a great performance at Lambeau and really be able to put together a much much powerful or much I should say more powerful performance than last week. Browns really have been struggling until they get healthy and go back to their their former postseason play or I should say postseason caliber play to get them to the playoffs. Not necessarily what they put up in the postseason because it was really, really poor. I think it's still a good chance Packers win this game by 10. Arizona, Indianapolis. Cardinals coming off of a big loss to the Lions last week. And I I'm I think I've called that on the show. I won't necessarily pull up the clip to prove it, but I know I've talked to a lot of people that said, if there's a game the Lions will win, it'll 100% be Arizona because there's no way we should be able to do so. And that's what happens in football. Every single week, there's a game that should not line up the way it does. And one team that should not have a chance that ends up winning. That's just what happens. So, um, I think in this one, I really want to go with Indianapolis, honestly. And I think the reason why is because, I mean, Arizona statistically is a fantastic team, but the Colts right now, the Colts right now are really doing a great job of playing their game. They're not necessarily going with what the opponents have given them. They're sticking to their game plan, giving a big ton of touches to Jonathan Taylor, use play action spread the ball around, get your guys out in space, being able to pick up chunk yards, be able to move the sticks, take as much time as you need. And I think that's really a big difference in this game. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, the league's leading rusher for a reason. That Cardinals front seven has, I mean, really against Detroit, was not able to put a lot of pressure on Jared Goff. And that secondary did not do a great job covering either. I'm not necessarily saying that the Cardinals are a worse team overall, but coming off that performance, I'm leaning towards the Colts. I'm going to pick upset by three. I think this is going to get shaken up. I think the Colts are going to make a, another another shock. They're going to win this one by three. I mean, it's pretty 50-50 right now on the odds, so I, I think that's pretty fair to say. Giants and Eagles, NFC East matchup for the making. Boy, this is going to be interesting. Um, right now, the Giants coming off of a not a great performance, to leave it the most. They're also playing with Mike Glennon. So that's also kind of hard to, to adjust to. 
yeah, the Eagles are going to win this one. I think by 13. I'm not liking what I'm seeing from the Giants right now. I think that their defense has they've been okay. they've been all right, but not they're they're not the same defense that we saw a year ago that was really kind of keeping them in games with Colt McCoy. So I think you got to think this is going to be a low scoring game. I mean, the Giants won this one earlier. Now they're going to Lincoln Financial. It's revenge time. It's got it written all over it. Eagles win this one. Um, yeah, thirteen was about. Yeah, I think so. I'm gonna stick with thirteen. L.A. Minnesota. I think Rams gonna bounce. I think they're. I think they're gonna bounce back in this one. And I know. I know some people will look away. They just won last week. They didn't have a great performance last week. The Rams really played all right, but I mean they were on the ropes for a lot of the part of the game on Monday night. So I or excuse me, Tuesday night. Um, I mean, you look at what Seattle did. They were able to move the ball on the ground. That's a little alarming considering how well Minnesota runs the football. And then Dalvin Cook goes down with COVID. So that doesn't help that stat or that fact whatsoever. Vikings are 30th ranked in total defense. That's not good. Rams are in the top 15 for a reason. And on paper, they're one of the top five defenses. And so I think you right now are looking at, I don't, I'm not going to call this one a blowout. It has a potential to be a blowout just because Cooper Cup, that Rams offense has been absolutely electric and nothing short of phenomenal. I don't see, anticipate they won't keep that going. I think what you're going to see, though, I think you're going to see the Vikings throwing a lot of blitzes at Matt Stafford. I think they're going to try to turn the ball over. I think they got to they got to make a they got to go all in right now. If you're you're if you're seven and seven with this NFC race heating up with a lot of teams within striking distance, Washington, Philadelphia, New Orleans is in that category. Heck, even Atlanta's in that category. Are those teams actually going to make it? No, but they're still in the hunt. And when you look at it on paper, I mean, there's some teams like that are in that category that have very winnable games. Like I mentioned, Atlanta has a very winnable game. Not saying they will. We'll get to that game in a minute. But I think the Rams are going to win this one. I'm going to say by 10. I think they're going to keep it rolling. Coach McVay going to keep his team on the right track to potentially win the NFC West, especially if the Cardinals flop to the Colts. Buffalo, New England. So I said this game a couple weeks ago when we predicted that Buffalo is going to win at home and then the New England Patriots are going to win at Gillette. I might just, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to go flip because since considering that New England beat Buffalo, but that game was weather dependent and that really changed the whole game plan. It seemed like for a lot of teams, but when you look at the record that coach Belichick has had in Gillette. Yeah. You, it's hard to bet against that. It really is. So he's 6-0 and against in divisional games where both teams are within one game of the division. That's a stat right there. I think if you were Mac Jones and you're looking up against this Buffalo secondary, that can look a little hard, but I think you still got, you got great confidence, especially with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, the job that they've done preparing for, the, for this team. Because you know that they're, when you're looking at game plans in this division, you're not looking at Miami. You're not looking at the Jets. You're looking at the Bills. So they're preparing for this game at home. The Bills, I know, have a number one defense, number seven offense, but stats don't win you games. We can prove you that. I'm going to stick with my gut. Patriots, I'm going to say by six. We'll say this game gets a little interesting scoring-wise. Uh, Tampa Bay, Carolina. Yeah, I'm going with Tampa Bay. I know they got injuries. I know this could be a trap game. But there's one thing you're forgetting about that whole fact, and that is number 12. He's going to get it done with whoever's on the field. We saw that in New England. We saw that 
pretty much through his entire career. So I don't anticipate Cam Newton's going to get a revenge game against Brady, but I mean, he is 2-0 against him, but is that really going to be 3-0? I don't think so. Buccaneers, they swept the Panthers last year. I anticipate that they will do it again, and I think they're going to move on. 81% winning percentage certainly proves why you could think that. Buccaneers, not going to be, I think the, the I think it's looking like they're like 10 or 12 point favorites. I think the injuries will make it a little bit closer. I think it'll probably be seven or I think it'll be seven, but Buccaneers will still move on. No problem. Jacksonville and the Jets, the tank game. Boy, this is going to be interesting. Uh, two teams looking to both lose and get a higher draft pick, but this game's going to be fun. 50-50 across the board and win probability, I think, should certainly um, put that into perspective. But I think you're going to look at, I mean, you're going to look at the top two picks playing against each other. That's a game we've been looking forward to to see who's the ultimate quarterback. But I think right now we're proving Mac Jones is the best out of them. But I think when you look at this game, I think you're going to see, a, I think you're going to see both teams trying to air it out on each other. There's really no else or no else, that's probably not a great grammatical way to say that. There's nothing else that you would look on paper at to to like put a reason why a team should win. And Because Michael Carter and James Robinson are probably going to get their yards, especially against both front sevens that have been banged up. So I think you're going to see who can out-throw each other. And right now, I trust Darren Bevel, and I trust Trevor Lawrence. I think Jacksonville's going to win their third game. And then the Jets are going to make it interesting now at 3-12. and 12 and probably potentially sneak up on the top ends of the board, especially considering they have another first-round pick later owned by the Seahawks. So I'm going to go Jaguars. I'm going to go by three. And really the only reason is because I think that Darren Bevel is going to get his interim head coach win, like he like he did in Detroit. I think it's the same thing. And this is probably the best chance to do that. Speaking of Detroit, 2-11 and and 1 Lions against the 6-8 and eight Falcons at Atlanta. Last time this game took place was back in 2020 in, many would remember, the buzzer beater in a game-winning touchdown by TJ Hawkinson after the Todd Gurley blunder at the goal line. Boy, that was a fun, that was a really a fun game. But um, I think when you look at what this game will become, I think you're going to see both teams establishing the trenches. I think is what is going to, I think when you look at it, I think our, I think the Lions DBs will be able to neutralize the Falcons. I think, I think there's a good possibility, especially what they did last week against the Cardinals. That was a very, very positive sight. But I think when you look at Atlanta with Cordero, I mean, Cordero Patterson had a rough week last week. I know I put him in our start stream or excuse me, starter, start him, sit him and stream him. Try to say that five times fast on the FSU torch.com. But I think the the idea is he's going to have a bounce back game, especially against our front seven that's had injuries all year, and that's really just never gotten clear of that fact. So, but it'll be interesting to see. Jamal Williams is scheduled to be back from COVID, but Craig Reynolds has had a great last two games, so he could be in line for work against the Falcons, especially a team that's not great defensively against the run. So, I think this is going to be a fun game. I don't care what you say. I think Detroit could win this game. And frankly, I haven't picked against him yet, so I'm going to pick Detroit to win this one by 10, but I think it's probably going to be a lot closer than what I just said. But here's the thing. 
for all those out there that are saying the Lions should keep losing games, stop it. Stop it. I know what draft picks represent. I know the value is higher at number one than it is number three. I get that. Here's my thing. Here's my argument right now for why the Lions should, why they should not just lay flat and continue to lose games. When you have a coach that is coming in on a long-term contract, six years, that's the number, six years, with a new GM, with a new coordinating staff, you're going to have guys that are going to be looking to fill out your roster. But when you throw them to the Wolves in a downhill stretch, like the ones we have coming up against divisional foes, like we're going to have to face Green Bay at the new year. Why would you want to do that in a season that's not competitive and you're trying to lose? That's going to take your morale down on your guys. And the morale's at all-time high right now. We used to be one of the best record teams in the NFL in Arizona. And not only that, beat them pretty handily. Here's the fact. When you have a GM like Brad Holmes that scored on a lot of these draft picks, if you're number one compared to number three or number four, heck, even down to seven, we maybe, what if we went out and find ourselves around seven? I feel pretty confident about his ability to take a good player that low. Do we not get Thibodeau or Hutchinson if we keep winning? Sure. Does that mean we're going to be left out to dry and there's going to be nobody else available? That's what it seems like everybody is thinking. That's just, that's what it seems like everybody's saying, which is not true at all. Here's the facts. If you want to see Dan Campbell win, you're going to keep everything the same that it is right now because you're rolling on something. This team found something. The Reynolds-Goff connection has made Goff better. The defense is playing more motivated. And the fact is, you want to see a coach prove that he can win, then why would you tank? Why? Why would you do that? All I'm saying is, I'll sacrifice two to three games to know Dan Campbell can win games compared to him just tanking out the rest of the year so we can get Thibodeau or Hutchinson. That's what. That's all I'm saying. I have confidence wherever we end up, we're going to take a good player. And it's not like we have a gaping hole at defensive end. Are we probably going to re-sign Trey Flowers eventually? Probably not. I know that's inevitable. Does that mean we don't have other needs? No. This team needs a lot of needs. A superstar pass catcher would be also pretty awesome. So... That's why I think the Lions should keep winning. You may disagree with me, and that's totally fine. I I can totally understand that point of view. All I'm saying is, what we're seeing coaching from Dan Campbell and the staff right now, I want to see them continue this so that we have confidence going into the next season. I would rather have that confidence on a coach from a coaching staff than just another top-tier player. Because if we know he's going to work, if we know the coaching's working, it doesn't matter who we bring in. They're going to be better. Where we don't know if he's going to be coaching. We bring a top player in. We don't know if they're going to be playing at their best. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, Chargers, Texans, not much analysis needed. The Chargers should roll in this one by 17. I mean, it was a close heartbreaker a couple weeks against the Rams. 
And I mean, really, the, the Chargers should be nowhere but upward. They should be looking playoff bound. And this is certainly a game to do so. This is a tough one. Baltimore, Cincinnati, AFC North showdown. Baltimore is banged up. COVID protocols. Lamar not might not play. If Lamar does not play, Cincinnati wins by 10. With uh, I mean, sorry, Tyler Huntley. I just don't. I It's going to be hard for me to pick him over Joe Burrow. But, I mean, the fact they're going to be at Paul Brown, the fact that they're going to be playing a Bengals team that's been rolling as a Pro Bowl rookie receiver in Jamar Chase, that has been phenomenal. As long as the Bengals can protect Burrow, they're going to win this game, which Wing Martin is going to bring out the blitz. So I think you, I think that there is going to be, I think this game's going to come down to the fact of being that aspect right there. I should say, kind of rambling here. The Bengals being able to protect the Ravens, and frankly, I don't know if they will. If here's my here's my pick, my my pick predicament. Ravens bring everybody back from COVID. They're going to win this game. They're not going to win. They're not going to lose four in a row. But if the Bengals are able to protect Burrow, they're going to win this game. So this one's a tough one for me. I, I'm gonna, I am gonna. just can't imagine the fact the Ravens are going to lose four in a row. But if they don't have any players, it's certainly pretty realistic. So based off the COVID rumors that we've heard from this team if, and Lamar not being 100%, I'm still going to go with the Bengals. I'm going to say them by three. And I'm going to stick to it. Seattle, Chicago. I think this one's, I think Seattle's got this one. I think Chicago needs to lose games. I'm not saying purposely. I'm not saying they should tank. Nor would I ever tell a team to tank. I think that Seattle needs to beat the Bears in order for the Bears to be a better football team. And that's moving on from Matt Nagy. That's straight up 1,000% what they need to do. That defense does not deserve to play with that poor of an offensive performance than we've seen from the Bears this season. And that is no slander. No, no slander against Justin Fields' rookie year, against Darno Mooney. Allen Robinson Hurt hasn't made it any easier. The play calling's been bad. The play calling has been bad. It has not been good enough. The red zone efficiency and the ability to hold on to the freaking football that's cost that team. I I don't know why I'm like so... Because I would love to see the Bears continue to struggle so the Lions have a chance to beat them. But Bears fans don't deserve to go through this. You have a top 10 defense in the NFL and you've won four games. That's awful. 32 in passing. 29th offense overall. Who's calling the plays? Bingo. That's the problem. I'm going to say Seattle wins by seven just solely to hope that the Bears can finally realize what's wrong and they can finally make the move to get this franchise forward, especially with their new quarterback. Pittsburgh, Kansas City. Oof, this one's going to be interesting considering the fact Kansas City's 10-4. They're looking nowhere but up, especially after a big win in overtime. I think you got to look at the previous game to see the what this game will probably look like. Steelers won 17-7 back in 19. That was the last time these two teams played off. Steelers' defense was more healthy in that team. This Steelers' defense does not look good. And until I see them perform well, it's hard to bet against a team playing against them, especially the Chiefs. I got Chiefs, let's say by 10. Chiefs by 10. Denver, 
Las Vegas, both teams 7-7 seven and seven in the AFC wildcard hunt. Really, it's win or go home, I think, really, in the minds of both these teams. you got divisional games down the stretch that aren't going to be any easier. Both of these games are going to be winnable. This is a momentum-changing game. This is really... Because if you go in 7-8 and eight and try to win two, especially in that division, I mean, it's going to be hard. I mean, regardless who you play. So I think this game is going to come down to two things. One, the, the ability to establish the trenches. Both these teams are going to be looking to run the rock, especially run the rock first. They're both pretty talented in the running back room. I mean, Denver's 10th overall in rushing. The Raiders are a little bit lower, but of course they got Josh Jacobs, and they, they're, they're certainly going to be looking that way first. You're not going to try to air it out 50 times to win the game. If that's what it takes, I'm sure they'll do it. But, I mean, the way Derek Carr has looked down the stretch, you're not going to be banking on that so far after his first half MVP-type conversation performance. This one's 50-50 on paper, strictly going with the home team. I'm going to go Raiders by three. Washington-Dallas Sunday night game. Yeah, Washington doesn't get Heineke back. It's hard to bet with them. It really is. I think Dallas rolls this one. I think they win by 14, and they're going to clinch their playoff spot. This is what this team needs. They need to put together a good defensive performance. That offense is good. They still need some big plays to make them a pretty considerable Super Bowl favorite, like the Buccaneers, like the Chiefs. They just haven't been able to score the big plays. That's what you need if you're Dallas. you got to find those big plays, and the defense has to be stout. No let up whatsoever. No Washington Part 2 from two weeks ago. Don't do that ever again because that was scary. Dallas by 14. Final game Monday night, Miami and the Saints. Both teams also at 500 looking to make the AFC, or excuse me, AFC. Miami, I should say, looking for the AFC wild card. New Orleans with the NFC wild card. New Orleans is going to be rolling with the end book. I'll say that again. The Saints are going to be rolling with Ian Book. That's scary. But the fact is, the Saints have won six of their last seven Monday night games. That's kind of a, this is a toss-up for me. The Dolphins have been on an absolute roll. They beat the Saints the last time these two teams played. This one's tough because I don't know who Miami's going to be rolling out next week. Duke Johnson looked good last week, but you're also going to have Selvin Ahmed back. You're going to probably have Philip Lindsay back. You're probably going to have Miles Gaskin back. So that one, I, it's really hard for me to bank on the Saints being able to put something together offensively. But this defense is that defense is too good, and they've shown me things that they can win no matter who's on the offense, especially last week when they only put up nine points against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So assuming all those facts come true, shout out to Brody. I'm rolling with your team. Saints going to win this one by four. Those are my picks. You can follow those along and trash me when they all go wrong or bet against them if there's yeah, I don't I won't I won't tell you to do that, but if you do, you might be end up better because it seems like the my luck has been bad lately. So, you can do it with my picks whatever do you want and you can follow along and tell me where you disagree on our social media at the MBSP. But looking back now, looking at some NBA, um uh, some big games coming up here, some standings overlook. Right now, Nets sitting on top despite their COVID issues. Um Chicago, Milwaukee, Cleveland is Cleveland's still been a phenomenal team, really underrated so far this year. Miami and Washington, Philly, 
Boston, Charlotte, Toronto, Morocco, excuse me, rounding out the top 10, excuse me, followed by the Hawks, Knicks, Pacers, Magic, and Pistons looking in. I think when you look at these so far, one of these teams is going to fall out and Atlanta is going to go back in. I think that's almost inevitable, and that team just hasn't been healthy. Trey Young is on the COVID list, so that makes things even more difficult. But, I mean, when you look at the upcoming games right now, I think you got to be a little excited for, I mean, a, a team like Cleveland. I think you have to be a little, because, I mean, they're really showing that you don't need top superstars to win games. And I really appreciate that. I mean, they're going to be playing Toronto, which is a very winnable game coming up. And they got some winnable games. So, I mean, it's hard to think that. So, on paper, that team wasn't that great going in. But, I mean, they certainly have looked good overall. But I think when you look at this overall, Christmas Day is going to be a dud because most likely the game's coming up on Christmas. Let me make sure I pull them up here correctly and make sure the Hawks, Knicks, Celtics, Bucks, Warriors, Suns, Nets, Lakers, Mavericks, Jazz. First of all, Luka Doncic will probably not play in the Dallas-Utah game. Kevin Durant and Harden are looking grim for the Lakers game. And also, LeBron's banged up, so you never know. He might not even play. Right now, should the NBA go on pause for COVID? I don't know if that's necessarily the full case. But they have room to do it. You can. You could probably reschedule a couple games. Should they take a hard two-week break? Absolutely not. That is. I don't think that's what you need to do. And I'm. I'm all for the safety of the players, but I think that's going to hurt everybody in the end. I mean, not. Is that might honestly hurt the players? As far. I mean, because here's the thing. Like you have a lot of. I think this is. Here's my thing. This is a great time to play developmental players. I know nobody wants to say that or, or hear that. But I think that's true. I think you can look at a lot of the young talent that you have and you can really make good assessments from that. So I think you have a good chance to see some good, like some younger guys. I mean, especially here for Detroit fans, you're going to probably see Saban Lee a lot more now that Kate Cunningham's out. You're going to see a lot of the younger guys like Garza, maybe even Isaiah Livers play more. And I think some teams need to see that. I mean, you look at a lot of these teams that are down necessarily in the standings. Like I mentioned Detroit earlier. You got teams like Orlando that's looking to develop. Indiana's looking at a rebuild. I mean, this could be a good time for them to look at a lot of these young guys and see what they can do. Houston's at the bottom in the in the West. You got the Kings that are probably looking to rebuild. The Spurs that aren't looking too hot right now. Pelicans need Zion back. The Thunder are looking for picks. So I think you you look at that scenario. Do I think that they should try to move around the Christmas games? And that one I'm not, I could make a little bit more room for because that one's more TV related than it is an actual game. They're important games, but there's a reason they were put on Christmas. So they knew that those matchups going in were going to have a little bit of flexibility in the schedule because they they made those and made around the schedule with those games because those are the big money makers on Christmas Day. So if you want to get those bucks made, then you're going to move the games. But it's going to be, I think it's going to be hard to move around in the schedule. But because I mean, you got, I mean, and the, but the thing is, no, I'm kind of bouncing around here, but stick with me. The idea of a two week break to me, it makes everything, it makes everybody get healthy. One on one, it stops an outbreak. I'm all for that. But throughout that two week break, you're going to lose viewership. And trust me, people are not, or there's going to be less people that will, will not watch the NBA that will not come to games after the two weeks because in reality, when you stop something, it's it's harder to keep a train rolling than stop it and start it up again. 
So the fact is you're going to you're going to have to know you're going to go into these losses. You're going to have to. Is that what needs to happen in order for healthy? Sure. But at the end of the day, it's it's either this. You're going to roll the next two weeks and you're going to keep the train rolling with developmental players and younger guys, which would benefit a lot of teams. Not saying all of them, but a lot of teams. But it's going to hurt viewership a little bit. At the end of the day, I think that there's a good chance they won't. I mean, Adam Silver's already said that they won't. I think he could change his mind, but the chances of that are pretty slim. So I think you're going to look at that with open. I think you're going to look at that with open eyes because you want what's best for the league. But at the end of the day, is a two-week stoppage the best? Especially considering you got venues that are planning on a lot of these games going as scheduled, as they mentioned earlier. I think that messes up a lot of things. I'm not necessarily saying they should or they shouldn't, but I think with everything that's been said, the worst thing that you can do is then put the shutdown and go against what you just said because then that hurts your credibility. And Adam Silver has had some of the best credibility in all sports commissioners, hands down, for what he's done with the NBA. So I think when you look at that, I think the season's going to go on. I think you're going to see a lot of interesting matchups with a lot of guys you've never heard of. I know fantasy-wise, there's a lot of teams that are struggling, mine included, with some guys out with COVID, especially KD. So you're going to be looking on the waiver wire for a lot of these young guys, but it can be it's going to be a little bit of an interesting time. So I think you're going to I think you're, we're going to see the season keep moving forward. You know, I think it's just going to be a little unbearable, but once we get through it, we'll be back on track. Everything should work out as long as everything is going right with safety. That's the number one important part. So this is going to be interesting. It's going to be made through, but got a lot to go over and keep moving here in the NBA. Phoenix at the top of the Western Conference, Golden State, Utah, Memphis, Clippers, and Lakers rounding out the top six. Denver, Dallas, Minnesota, and Portland rounding out the top ten. Oof, Portland's 13 and 19 right now. That's an ouch. But I think the biggest notable thing out of this, I think you have to argue, is the Lakers at six. I I don't think there's any reason that the Lakers should be lower than the, the Clippers. The Clippers don't have Kawhi. They are in a little bit of a bounce back mode. Lakers haven't proved anything. So I think that shows you why that you shouldn't put them. They haven't proved anything, guys. They really haven't. They're 10 and 8 at home and 6 and 8 on the road. For a team that should be championship bound, that's trash. 16 and 500? Ugh. It's gross. Golden State and Phoenix should be the favorites out of that division for what they've done so far. And Warriors probably would get the edge because that guy, Steph Curry, the greatest shooter that the game has ever seen. Probably hands down. I wouldn't necessarily say like greatest player of all time, but one of the best shooters that has ever stepped on planet Earth, quote Stephen A. Smith. So I think you have to put those two as the favorites right now. I think Utah's going to be always up there. Denver really is just missing Jamal Murray right now. If they could get him back before the season ends, they'll bump up higher. Dallas has just been on a shaky stretch. Luke has been in and out. Minnesota, I think, might fall out. You might see Poppins, the Spurs, get back up there eventually if that team gets rolling. But injuries have plagued them hardcore and just overall lack of talent. So that might not hurt. That might not help them whatsoever. But I think when you look a lot here at basketball, I think you're seeing... I think you're going to be seeing a lot of different things coming up. I mean, right now we've got all these rookie of the year ballots right now. And I think, I think you definitely have to see that Scotty Barnes 
is going to be rising up the list for the work he's done in Toronto. That guy's been phenomenal. So I think we're I think we're going to see a potential for a, a leapfrog. I think Evan Mobley should probably be near the top of the list 100%. I don't think Jalen Green should. I mean, I I personally don't think that, regardless of my my Pistons biased. I think Cade Cunningham should be up there. I don't think he's going to be up as higher because obviously they're losing games, but I think you should definitely look. I think end up. I think you might have seen Scotty Barnes up higher just because of the impact that he's made on Toronto. Because that team should not be as good as it is. The Pistons we knew were going to be kind of bad, and they're playing honestly worse than we expected. So. That's the reality of that. But we're seeing a lot of guys come back. We've seen Lance Stevenson signing a 10-day deal. Joe Johnson signing a 10-day deal with the Hawks and the Celtics, respectively. So you might, and I mean, Isaiah Thomas is back with the Lakers. So you're going to see a lot of older guys that are going to be coming up down the stretch, especially with teams on trouble with COVID. Um, So you're going to see a lot of different guys that are going to be coming back. So it's going to be interesting to see here coming up to Christmas and being able to watch some sports during the holidays. But it's been a great show. We appreciate everybody for tuning in and listening. We'll have more next week. Joe will be joining me back to discuss some more greatness in sports. We appreciate all of you fans. I know there's 45 of you out there that listen to us more than any other podcast. And to you guys, thank you. It really means a lot. This year has been phenomenal. This experience has been phenomenal. And we can't wait to continue that for you guys in all the great work that we've done here. And I mean, it's been phenomenal. I keep saying phenomenal like over and over. I know I'm scratching the record like 17 times. I apologize for that, but there's really no other word I can use to describe just the feeling of what we've accomplished this year. And you guys have been a big part of that. So until next time, guys, here at the MVSP, we will see you later. Take care, everybody.